morning. This morning, as you have probably noted in your bulletins, we're going to be back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And uh, as the scripture says, uh, man makes his plans, but God leads his steps. And that's true this morning. As, uh, as you can see, I'm not Paul, if you get that one. He was supposed to be here this morning, but just needed a break. And so we're going to extend uh, First Thessalonians series this morning. And we're going to be back, and uh, I'll just continue and just go a little bit deeper in First Thessalonians 5, verse 20. Do not despise prophecies. And then, uh, Lord willing, Paul will be here next Sunday uh, preaching and concluding with our series in First Thessalonians, a faithful church. This description of the Bible is found inside my study Bible. It says, this book contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners and the happiness of believers. Its doctrine is holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be saved, and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's charter. Here, heaven is open, the gates of hell are disclosed. Christ is the grand subject, our good its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, health to the soul, and a river of pleasure. It is given to you here in this life, will be opened at the judgment, and is established forever. Involves the highest responsibility, will reward the greatest labor, and condemn all who trifle with its contents. How true are those statements of this precious word, the word of God, the Bible, the prophetic word of God, handed down to us. And we certainly have a cherished treasure. And so I invite you, if you haven't, to open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And to a single verse, just going back to that verse and just kind of expanding on that verse a little bit more in the context of the greater scripture and context of the preaching of the prophetic word. And just allow me just to read the immediate context of chapter 5, starting in verse 18. It says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. And here's verse 20. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. As a reminder, verse 20 of what we learned last week, and I'll just be very brief. I don't want to spend too much time on review. Is that the gift of prophecy, as in the early church, the apostolic age, does not exist today. And therefore, today in the Bibles, we hold that we still have the prophetic word handed down to us, the saints, once for all. 
that the Bible contains a time-tested, uncontestable, clear, and confirmed prophecies of God. And each of us have the stewardship to interpret it correctly and to submit and obey God through the actions of our lives to his glory, reflecting the very word that he's given to you in our lives as we walk in this world, according to the Spirit, adorning the whole armor of God. And as we learned last time, these prophecies in the Bible are not to be despised. They are not to be considered to be nothing. They are not to be ignored and certainly not to be treated with contempt and in favor of our traditions or history or culture, whatever it is. Those things cannot be above the word of God because those things often lead to pragmatism. And if so, we are then guilty of quenching the spirit. That's the immediate context of verse 20. By despising prophecies, rather we are to be resolved. We are to be resolved to be found by Christ to be his faithful church according to the prophecies of God. And so today we're going to have a topical sermon looking at the powerful role of the prophetic word. And since God has granted us his breathed-out scripture, we have truth revealed, we have truth inerrant, we have truth preserved, and truth canonized. And therefore, the core focus of why we set aside a time each Lord's Day for, for the, the corporate worship gathering is truth. And that truth is through the preaching of God's word. The exposition of the scriptures is to be central because it is God's mean for salvation. That's what it says in Romans 10, verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. We receive the word by listening to the word. And God transforms us through the working of the Holy Spirit. And so God's word has to be the central facet of worship because 1 Corinthians 1.18 states, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Scripture is to be the central focus because it is God's means for sanctification. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And so the powerful role of the prophetic word serves in strengthening his church also. Acts 20, 32, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And all this is culminating in to our unity and maturity. Ephesians 4, verses 15 and 16 says, Speaking the truth in love, 
We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, as we know this, then we will begin to understand the powerful role of the prophetic word of truth in preaching, teaching. And I'm convicted, therefore, that biblical preaching is to be expository and exegetical. And such deep knowledge of God will lead us to right living, becoming a faithful church of doers of the word, not merely hearers of the word, deceiving yourselves. And so what is this term expository? What is expository preaching? It is a systematic communication of truth as it appears in the actual biblical text, making it clear, making it understandable by exposing the original authorial meaning It reveals to us the thoughts of God so that we, in response, can think God's thoughts after him. The means of preparing a biblical exposition is exegetical. Through the labor of exegesis, and exegesis literally means to lead out of to lead out of this holy text and not to put our thinking into the text and therefore changing what God has revealed. That's called eisegesis, putting our thoughts into the text. And then that changes the meaning of the text. We need to understand what God has revealed in his prophetic word and draw that out and explain it so that we all can be under his word in our lives. And that is done by a proper hermeneutic, the, the, if you can say, the science of interpretation of God's word, which is a literal, historical, grammatical approach. It's literal. It's not a wooden literalism. Jesus said, um, I'm the bread of life. He's not a loaf of bread. He's talking about something greater. We understand that by the context. We take it in its historical context because that's when it was written. And we have to understand the culture. We have to understand how are the people receiving God's word? How do they understand it in their context? Not our context today. It can be applied in our context. But we need to understand the written word in the original context. And then lastly, it is through the grammatical approach as best as we can, and there are tools for all of us online now that we can go into the word studies. We can understand the Hebrew, the Aramaic, the Greek. There are tools there. There are commentaries that will help us if we're not trained in that way. And so we look at the words because the words are very important. These are God-breathed words. They have meaning. Even Jesus said to every jot and tittle, that's how inspired the word of God is. And then we take that approach to Scripture within the confines of the immediate, near, and overall context of Scripture, guided by the indwelling Holy Spirit within the born again. And so context is very important. I used to be in real estate, and if you know real estate, the three most important things of real estate are, do you know? 
Right. Are you a real estate agent? In Bible interpretation, it is context, context, context. Without a context, the scripture can become a pretext. And so, as we do that, the resulting aim of expository preaching is to rightly read and interpret God's word and then to explain it for God-honoring spiritual life change in the student or the hearer of such exposition. The model of expository preaching comes from the patterns of the likes of Ezra's, Ezra and others, and even Christ himself. And so I ask you to turn to the Old Testament, to Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. And we're going to just begin there, and I'll read it out. Uh, I'll read quite a few verses from that. We're going to draw out some relevant and brief, brief highlights. So Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1, it says, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. I'm just going to stop here and just make a note about that last verse. That we should notice, and just in this section even, these first three verses, of how long the people were willing to listen to God's word, which started once there was daylight. Once there was daylight, they gathered together. And so they were there under the preaching of God's word, under the exposition of God's word for hours. Hours. They were focused on what God had to say through his word. That's how much they valued God's word. Verse 4. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose, and beside him stood, and there was a number of men, I'm not going to read all those names out loud, on his right hand, and then there's more men listed in this passage, on his left hand, verse 5, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. That's why this tradition of having a platform in a church with the pulpit elevated there's some history behind this and as he opened it all the people stood all the people stood and that's why this is not a command it's a response that we see in this narrative and that's why in today's churches there are there is the tradition to stand during the reading of the prophetic word. Verse 6, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And so the prophetic word, through this exposition, created response. And that res response was a humble, profound praise and worship of God. Verse 7. And then there's another list of men. 
And it says the Levites, Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. And so out of the people's reverence, this deep reverence of God in worship and at the exposition of his word, they were still and possibly standing that whole, those many, many hours. Because they had a commitment. They had a commitment and reverential fear and devoted heart attitude to God that they did not want to go anywhere. But they listened to learn. Verse 8, they read from the book, from the law of God clearly and gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And that's where I want to camp this morning, at least in this Old Testament illustration. That in these last two verses in Nehemiah, it leads us to the nature of preaching, which is to help the people to understand the law. And we see from this passage that God's word was read out clearly. At least that's what it says in the ESV translation, which I'm working from this morning. And that's the Pew Bible. And not only clearly, it's there done that way to, and explained to the people. In verse 8, we find that Ezra and those who assisted him gave the sense, it says. Or in other words, provided the meaning to the people. It is to be noted that we must understand the depth of what is stated. That the, the phrase to give sense in verse 8 means to break down. So the text was read out and then an exposition broke it down into its parts and explained so that the congregation understood the word of God. And so this is an Old Testament example of God-ordained preaching, the verse-by-verse expository method to God's prophetic word. Clear communication, the proper dividing, the systematic and comprehensive description and explanation, and also authoritative proclamation of the word of God. And that is the very labor, the joyous labor of the preacher. And it is his stewardship towards God and his prophetic word. And this stewardship also extends to the, the heavy weight of responsibility. The heavy weight of responsibility that a Bible teacher in a Sunday school class or a fellowship group or a small group study has before God. If you're going to come before anyone to teach God's word, this is how James 3, 1 warns us. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So that, so that, that heavy weight of responsibility, yet it is a immense privilege to teach God's word. Careful, careful to avoid slandering God. God. Because, because it is a serious, serious call, call to theological precision, precision as we, as we represent, represent God, God as we speak, speak his, word. his word. 
And we are here to proclaim truth and not to multiply error in the congregation because if you're not precise in your theology, you don't understand the Bible and you begin to teach it and you teach it wrong, you multiply that error in many people and they take you as an authority and then they think that's true because many people lack discernment. They aren't Bereans. We don't have too many Bereans in our churches anymore. And so if we are not accurate in what we teach from God's word, we are slandering God. Because we are guilty of, and this is the definition of slander, making a false spoken statement damaging to God's reputation. Now what we see modeled in Old Testament times is that the prophetic word belongs only to God since he is the only author of who sends forth prophecy and then leading to the men whom he appoints to the preaching of it and then as evidence in Nehemiah it is central to the worship because it edifies the body of Christ. It's able to save the lost. The sermon for most believers is the hardest part of the joyous work of worship. And I believe that is why many churches give to the congregation what they think people want, or maybe even people express it. You probably heard the myth, and it is a myth, but many people adopt this myth, is that most people only have a 30-minute attention span but how can people sit through a, an intense movie for two or three hours and grasp everything? And this is a stark contrast to what we read from Nehemiah. So in North America, short sermons have become, quote unquote, the new norm. Is that how we value God's word? Just want to come, let's get it over with, let's go home. In line with short sermons, it might also be watered-down sermons. Instead of true sequential biblical exposition of God's breathed-out prophetic word, and as we embrace and per persevere with Christ-centered expository verse-by-verse -verse preaching, God's word guarantees you that it, you will grow. And it will be hard to go back like it was in my life when I was first exposed to verse-by-verse -verse expository preaching, hard to go back to the often watered-down, entertainment-focused, culturalized, spiritualized, make-me-feel-good-only stuff. That's not what the church's mission is when we gather this morning on each Lord's Day. And what may help you in the worship through the Word is to keep your Bibles open. Keep engaged with God's word. Follow the scriptural flow of the text, the logical explanation. Take note of the context. Take notes if that helps. Go to the references or write them down later. Write some questions that you know, maybe you're not clear on uh, that has been presented so that you have time for another study later during the week. Identify the theme. What is the key point uh, of this exposition? Write it down. Write down how is the Holy Spirit leading you to apply the holy text. 
And so when we come each Lord's Day here in order to have a properly focused corporate worship, God's word must be central in each of our lives as it was in the Old Testament and into the New Testament. And we must prepare ourselves to receive God's word. It's not the people, it's not the music, it's not the building, though those things are blessings. They're important. And they should be valued. And we should give God thanks for those things and each other. But the primary focus is to follow through with God's command and imperative in 1 Thessalonians 5.20. Do not despise prophecies. And therefore feed on this rich treasure of his prophetic word unceasingly. God's word is his revelation of himself to you, to us. And if we don't have God's word, we have nothing. We really have nothing. Because God's word is the only means of knowing his saving grace and his will for us, his people. So may we be devoted to bringing God's supreme glory through worship daily through the application of God's word. And this includes us corporately as his church. The living word of God is Jesus Christ. The word is to be at the center of our worship. And when people hear his word, God uses it to save them. God uses it to change us for his radiant glory. Glorious people of God sent out into this world to further proclaim truth, the gospel. Now let's look to the New Testament, where we discover what Jesus himself did with the scriptures and how he handled the prophetic word. The following verses that I'm going to read take place after Jesus' resurrection as he joins two people and he he walks along together with them on the road to Emmaus. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 27. Luke 24, starting in verse 27. Actually, I'll, I'll start in verse 13. But we'll, we'll look at that verse. We'll get to that. Verse 13, Luke 24. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from, being, from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had not 
that, that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Verse 24. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones of, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. It's fitting that we have the Lord's Supper this morning in this context. And so let's focus on a couple of verses. The first is verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And in this verse, that word interpreted means to unfold the meaning of what is said, explain, expound properly, thoroughly interpret, accurately, fully explain. And so we begin to find out what Jesus did, that he went to the scriptures and explained the messianic prophetic word of the Old Testament to Cleopas and his companion, which referred to himself, meaning Jesus himself, as long as the long-anticipated savior from the people's sins. Jesus' method was to unfold the meaning, and he explained, he expounded the full content of the gospel from the Old Testament. That the Messiah died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, as the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15. Luke 24 continues, and then in verse 32 we read, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And so Cleopas and his companions' hearts were burning, burning within them. Because Jesus' powerful exposition of the Old Testament gripped these two men's hearts. They didn't know that was Jesus, but they knew something that he was saying was very powerful. Because Jesus' spirit-empowered preaching of the truth set their hearts on fire. 
It consumed their minds and satisfied their deep desire to know God's word as they journeyed together to Emmaus. As we meditate just on that verse and what happened in response to the preaching of God's word by Christ himself, the word of God. Oh, how our hearts today would respond in such a transforming way. Would not our hearts burn within us as we sit under the word of God? As we read the word of God, is our hearts not burning? Is our hearts not desiring to know of God himself so that we could bow down in humble worship and praise to him? Because that's the power of God's word. Would our hearts not burn within us in repentance? in submission, in obedience to Christ today and always because of the prophetic word. And so from the scripture, we find the pattern, the pattern of preaching, verse-by-verse verse expository preaching, which is a systematic communication of biblical concepts. They are derived from serious study of the word. They don't come to God's word superficially. Because this is God's word. Breathed out by him. Aided by the Holy Spirit. The biblical expository preaching has an impact on people through eliciting life-changing responses of Christ-centered action. And the authority for change comes not from the teacher, doesn't come from the preacher, but it stems from the very nature and power of the Word of God. And so as we grow in our love for truth and have a foundation for expository preaching, as the best way to grow in Christ, here are ten reasons why we are to love truth. The scripture, these are not in any particular order. This is the powerful role of the prophetic word. Number one, it displays God's glory, and character and salvation in every life circumstance. Number two, it brings forward God's word as a primary topic of instruction. Number three, it magnifies the authority of God over us as our creator, ruler, and judge. Number four, it demonstrates a profound depth of riches of God's word for life and godliness. Number five, stirs sinful souls to submit to God in obedience through worship in spirit and truth. Number six, it destroys the superficiality of religion and fosters genuine spiritual maturity rooted in a saving and personal relationship with our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Number seven, builds in us a solid foundation of love for God who saved us and loved us first. Number eight, it unfolds what God has to say to us today so that we do not put our own words into God's mouth and and our own thoughts as presented as God's thoughts and slander him. Number nine, causes my soul to resonate with truth and to live out truth daily with radiant joy. 
And number 10, it generates a proper response to God aided by his spirit, which gives the born again the assurance of salvation. So as you think through these 10 factors, and there's more, and probably each of you could add another, may we truly understand that the word of God is his life-changing gift for us all. And it can equip us for every good work, for the glory of God. So let us heed the words of 1 Thessalonians 5.20, do not despise prophecies. We must earnestly persevere in truth, and therefore we must passionately believe and honor and study the truth. We are to love it and obey its commands, because when we do so as a born again of Christ, it makes us the true worshipers. As the Gospel of John chapter 4 says, the true worshipers who will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. A faithful church, one that is healthy and spiritually growing, is one that exalts God by focusing on exegetical, expository preaching, which should stir up in you the discipline of exegetical listening. Exegetical listening. That's the goal so that you become discerning of what is taught as your privileged responsibility. As 1 Thessalonians 5.21 states in this context, but test everything. So exegetical listening. And then in Christ-serving response, we take action by serving in and being under exegetical ministry. Verse 21 continues and finishes off that sentence that says, hold fast what is good. Live it out in your lives. That's how we hold it fast to it. Serve God well. And when we have become and continue to be such approved workmen of the word, we will be radically, radically confronted and convicted in our hearts, which will stir and feed and satisfy our souls burning in our hearts because of God's word. And with the greatest of joy, be renewed in the mind through the teaching of the full counsel of God's word. Christ is magnified, therefore, in you who make this church. And we become mature. The heart of the worshiper should be focused on truth you know, I hear many churches battling over so many different things. And sadly, I rarely, I rarely hear churches fighting for longer and deeper, convicting teaching and preaching of the prophetic word. Let's fight for that, because that's a good fight. The Bible is God's word. It's not the word of words of intellectuals or religious thinkers or philosophers. It's not even the words of godly and wise men, but it is the very word of God breathed out, given to us as a treasure, as a privilege, 
as a stewardship. And therefore, may we wholeheartedly conclude that we must fervently and passionately believe, honor, and study it. We are to love it, obey its commands. So when we do that, we believe, we honor, we love, we submit and obey to our Lord God. We must earnestly fight for it and to teach it and to proclaim it so that many come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can save us. And as we persevere in the truth, what we long for over the many, many years of the history of this church, the word preached. As we come to the knowledge of the truth, as we become like-minded, we'll bring what we have longed for, which is unity. Indeed, let us not despise prophecies. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful that we have your word. We have truth in the midst of lies in this secular world. The twisting of truth. Even the terms we might even hear so often now, fake news, or fake scripture, or fake prophecies. But you've called us to be Bereans, who had the Apostle Paul, preeminent apostle of preeminent preacher of your word. And as he expounded the word wherever he went, the Bereans were more noble because they went back to the word to test it. And as they tested it, they held fast to it. And that's our responsibility before you this morning and each day going on forward. Lord, what a blessing you have given us. Lord, there is nothing else in this world that we should desire above Christ Jesus, the living word. And so, Lord, we, with grateful hearts, as we sit here this morning, our response is humble adoration. So, Lord, change us. Lord, as we also come to the Lord's Supper, we just ask that you would, once again, through your word, remind us of the importance, the joy of this celebration, the solemnness of how we are to come before you as we Come to the bread and the cup. And to be reminded, Lord, who we belong to. That we belong to you. A 
holy God. And so therefore, as you are holy, we are to be holy. And in that way, we can come to you in a worthy manner at this table. And so we give you thanks for these things. In the name of Christ, our Lord. Amen.